This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. This episode is sponsored by Apadana Fine Rugs, home to rugs curated exclusively for the interior design community and discerning individuals. One thing the past two years has made abundantly clear is how much we value spending time with family and friends, and how much we miss it, and how greatly our lives are diminished when we are deprived of their company. So it is not surprising that as the lockdown eased, Instagram began filling up with photographs of elaborate, layered, and lush table settings. All those recipes that people had perfected during shutdown could now be shared, and dinners, luncheons, and brunches indoors and out, became major events. After years of casual entertaining and lots of takeout, it seems formal entertaining, even place cards are back. Our finger bowls next. I'm fortunate to have with us three experts on entertaining who bring style, warmth, and insight into how we entertain, what's changed, and what's ahead. Mally Skoke is a Boston and Palm Beach-based designer of interiors, furniture, and fabrics inspired by ikats, Indian prints, and Turkish tiles. The rooms she creates are equally colorful, eclectic, and welcoming. She's also a renowned hostess, is a master at creating vivid and inviting tablescapes, and has even designed her own line of dishes. Welcome, Mally. Thank you for inviting me. So glad you're here. Shelley Johnstone is a Lake Forest, Illinois designer whose traditionally elegant rooms are infused with shots of bright color and graphic patterns. Her Instagram feed is studded with her colorful and welcoming table settings. Her studio and retail showroom are full of enticing tabletop accessories. And her new book, A Loving Table, Creating Memorable Gatherings, will be out this spring. Hello, Shelley. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me today. Delighted you're here. Finally, we have James Hirschfeld who first came up with the idea for paperless posts while a sophomore at Harvard because he wanted an engaging, if last minute, way to invite his friends to parties. Since its founding in 2009, Paperless Post has garnered more than 100 million users. Now CEO, he oversees the company's creative vision, collaborating with designers, illustrators, graphic designers, and fine artists. He's also acquired a wealth of data into how people entertain, both before and since the pandemic. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for having me. So, James, I wanted to start with you because I love the story of how you found a paperless post. It was your birthday party, I believe, that you wanted to invite people to. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was. It was my 21st birthday party, and I, I guess the love of entertaining was already there in me. And I organized, it was a, my birthday is in March, so it was basically the dead of winter in Boston. And I organized a beach club themed party at the the final club I was a member of in college. And I really wanted to pull people out of winter and make them think of Nikki Beach and of, you know, being at a really, really fun party, um, you know, on the sand under palm trees. And, you know, I, I filled the the club with palm trees. I, I, I bought 80 palm trees and I made it feel really tropical. And then when it came time to send the invitations for the party, I realized that 
but wasn't going to use paper because I didn't have my friends' mailing addresses and I didn't really have the time or the budget to do that because um, I'd spent it all on, on palm trees. And I wasn't <laughs> going to use one of the existing online invitation products because they really couldn't capture the, the thought and the care that had gone into organizing this event. So I sort of got the, the beginning of the idea was born then. I love what you said about thought and care. Because I think that's really sort of the basis of any entertaining is you really want to make an effort. And it doesn't, you know, to me, it doesn't have to be a major effort, but it has to be something special. And Mally, I'd love to get your sense of when did you first start entertaining? Was it when you were in college like James or how did that come about? I just, I come from a very entertaining family. Lucky you. Well, I think it's handed down through the generations because When my mum had dinner party, she always involved us. We helped with the table. When she did the flowers, she sent us out for extra little sprigs. And so it it was a natural thing for us to welcome people into our house. Even though my dad died when we were quite young, she still carried on having parties, even if it was spaghetti bolognese. The important thing was the the people and the effort, as you say, to just invite people into your house and let them know that you took the time and you just went logically through how it was going to be good for them to come into your house. And that is a very loving thing for you to do for your friends. And so I try and pass that down to my children too. We all love to have dinner parties, especially sit-down dinner parties. They're the best. They are. They are. Now, Shelley, how about you? And you've written a whole book, which we're all eagerly awaiting. It's out in April, I believe. Give me a little of your entertaining history. Well, my mother was a florist growing up, so um, there's the bar is really high to begin with. She always said, presentation, presentation, make everybody feel special. And I think a little bit for me is that's my way of showing my family and my children how I care about them. I always make the effort, set a pretty table, even if we're having pizza. It gets every, we have five children in our family, so it gets everyone sitting around the table and there's great conversation. And even just last night, I laugh, the best conversations are around our family table. And And then again, for family and guests, it's just a way of, it's a natural kind of way to make people feel special. And the book is entitled A Loving Table. And um, my co-author is Kimberly Whitman, and it's all with women, included women in it, that are setting their authentic loving table and showing how they care. Fantastic. And it's traditions passed on from mothers, daughters, grandmothers, aunts. That sounds great. Now, James, you said something that really struck me is you said when you started Paperless Post, you literally didn't have the addresses for your friends, the <laughs> physical addresses. Correct. God knows we live in a virtual world. You realize that, you know, trying to send Christmas cards or whatever, you realize, oh, my God, I don't have, you know, so many of the people we interact with, we see them in a you know, work situation or outside, but we don't know where they live. And, you know, I think that email is very cold and sort of has become a business sort of way of corresponding. So I thought... What you did with Paperless Post, which, believe me, I have used many times. Wonderful. So I. Wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy. And I receive, you know, Paperless Post invites all the time. (laughs) Um, So how did that sort of grow? Because, you know, the thing about entertaining is it is a very 3D physical. Like Mally and Shelly were both saying, you invite people into your home. And, you know, I used to say... The highest compliment you could pay someone, especially in New York City, which is a restaurant city, or at least it was pre-pandemic, where you met so many of your friends in your res- in restaurants, 
that to actually invite people into your home was really an intimate and loving act. And I think that's right. true. So how did paperless posts develop? And just as Shelley was saying, and, and everybody's saying, and Molly was saying as well, I, I 100% agree. I think anybody who loves to entertain, hopefully it's coming from a giving place. And it's really, the drive comes from wanting to show people that you care, wanting to be gracious, wanting to create a memorable, special experience that lifts people and um, makes them happy. And, you know, what goes around comes around. And I think that the idea behind Paperless Post really came from that. I, You know, the internet was all sort of communication in my lifetime had, I watched, I've, I've been around to watch it all sort of be digitized from business communication to casual chatting. I'd watched, you know, from, from when I was a little boy to when I was in college, all of that move online. But, and I could see that social correspondence around events was going to move online as well. It was only a matter of time, but there wasn't really a platform out there that could transition that type of communication with the same kind of finesse and personal feeling and, and, and sort of aesthetic that you get with paper. And so the idea behind Paperless Post was to give normal users, not, not graphic designers, not people who know how to use Photoshop or InDesign, just a, a normal user like my mom or, or any consumer, the tools to create something that really reflects the care and the thoughtfulness that goes into creating a party. Because parties are their aesthetic acts if they're done well. And and you really want to have the tools at your fingertips to to show what that feeling is going to be at your event and 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 how you're curating it. And and so the idea behind Paperless Post was to to just embrace the way that technology was changing, entertaining even you know, 11 years ago when we started. And of course, technology has changed entertaining much more since then. But to see this tidal wave that was coming and embrace it and to try to harness it in a good way so that rather than just, you know, making entertaining and communication colder, we could use technology to make communication warmer and more more beautiful and more accessible also. Because the other thing, one of the other things that inspired me at the very beginning was that I realized that Paper stationery was a luxury product that most people could really only afford to buy, you know, once or twice in their life. Most consumers would buy it for their wedding. Maybe they would send Christmas cards, but you, no one really had the to have the time and the money to send a really beautiful custom invitation every time you want to have people over. It's just impractical. So I thought, can, let's take that product and bring it to a more efficient platform where you can use it more often. Right. And one of the things that impresses me about Paperless Post is the range of styles, like. You know, I recently received an invitation to, you know, a big holiday party. And then I received another paperless post invitation to a baptism. And I could tell, as you were saying, just from the graphic mode of the presentation, one was going to be a raucous party. The other one was a much more formal (laughs) put-on-a-tie event, you know, which is fine. Because I think one of the things that a good host does is reassures guests. And that starts even before the guests arrive, they should know, you know, what's the expected, you know, arrival time, what the proper wardrobe to wear, you know, outfit to put on is, you know, the other thing is once they get there, make sure everybody knows subtly where the powder room is. You know, they, I think people enjoy themselves much more if they feel that thought has been put into that. I feel the same. And the all the arrangements have been made. When you walk in and they're just putting the chicken into the oven, it just terrifies me. <laughs> so stressful well, you know for it's everybody. It's going to be a long night. <laughs> yeah, and you know that everyone's really going to drink too much before right. dinner. It's, right. it's my worst. <laughs> right, right. 
Very good point. Very good point. I guess this is another reason that open kitchens can be to one's detriment, you know, because <laughs> if you can't hide the fiasco in the kitchen to the, from your guests, that makes for a tense evening. But Shelley, I wanted to ask you, like one of the things that I've seen, I mentioned in the intro, is how much more elaborate table settings have been involved. And I think this is probably, I'll ask, I want to ask James later about the styles of paperless posts. But you know, it, it seems like we've gone away from that sort of minimal Calvin Klein home, you know, white plate, white napkin, very severe flatware, you know, a couple of small little, uh, bud you know, vases. bud vases. Or even I remember when I was young, the, the hot thing was to put turf down the middle of the table, you know, like a thing of that, that grass. Uh, but it seems like now that's out the window. How do you think that's happened and why? Well, I think it's an amazing way to express yourself. And it's also a way that you can think about when you decorate a room, you do it more timelessly and you buy, you know, beautiful pieces that will be there forever. A tabletop, you can have fun with. You can curate it and bring in fun things from travel. You can also go to different stores. Everything doesn't have to be from a super high-end store. You can mix and match, make it high and low end. And it's accessible to everyone. It's, it's you know, we've made it so there's kind of no... Um, I think there's no rules, to be honest with you. When I remember when I first got married and I was registering, you know, you did the whole registering for the everything that matched. And now everybody likes a more curated, interesting table that actually says something about the hostess or host. And they have fun with it. They can express themselves. It evokes emotion. I mean, I love it when I travel and I pick up some little item in a flea market or a you know, fun store when I'm traveling and I bring it back and I maybe incorporate it in my table. And maybe it's a figurine or it's a fun little woven basket or it's just some you know silly little thing that just adds interest to the table. But I think we have so much fun with tables right now. I think there's no limit. I also think that this is an, another example of the way that technology is changing, entertaining. I, I mean, I'm sure you talk about Instagram on, on every every episode. Instagram probably comes up because it's it's <laughs> it's, such, it's really transformed the way that you know our visual culture and the way that we communicate about design and, and share design. But if you think about it, I mean, a tablescape, a table setting is such an such an Instagrammable vignette, and I think that. People subtly, I think hosts are thinking about, okay, how is this going to look in images? How is it going to be shared? And people are seeing them. And I think one of the trends that we've certainly seen through the pandemic, and I think will continue, you know, for a while, is just smaller events. And I think people are um, having smaller dinner parties. They're having, like Mally was saying, they're having more sit-down dinner parties. They're they're focusing more resources on a, on a smaller group of people because that's what the pandemic requires. And their photography has improved unbelievably. <laughs> that's Everyone true. gets the angles these days. It's true. It's so funny. Exactly. I think that those trends have come together and I think that the setting a table has become such a big thing for parties. It's a lovely way to fundraise too. I think tabletop events are just so, they just require so much imagination and it's easy. It's much quicker than a show house and everyone just gets to experience it in real time. And everyone learns a little bit from the other tables. I love tabletop events. I think they're great fundraisers. Yeah, Holiday House just did a tabletop as opposed to a show house, which A, is a lot of money and a lot of time. And you have to have the real estate, find the proper real estate, whereas a tabletop is much easier. And I think, as you were saying, Mally, it speaks to people saying, oh, I could do that. You're unlikely to redecorate your right. own home, but you could do a table setting. 
I've been seeing people do, I think also that smaller scale, yeah, it, it, it allows for a lot more creativity. And I've seen people do really extravagant things. But if you're only, if it's for eight people, then it's, it's, you can be a little bit more extravagant. You know, you can have a Bernard Maisner handwritten place card for each person that turns into a crown that you put on your head. I mean, <laughs> I've seen these things happen. Wow. And you, you know, you would have good parties, you, James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, smaller parties, you can do more. You know, it's interesting. When I was an editor, you know, let's say 10 years ago, I remember hearing how the bridal tabletop market was dying. You know, the, some, and many of these old-fashioned firms, Steuben, Lennox, they were either going out of business or they were being bought up by, what, uh, you know, big companies. They're becoming small divisions. That There was no future to tabletop is what I was told. And I think what happened was there's not maybe the market for, you know, white plates with a gold or platinum rim has diminished, but certainly tabletop has not diminished, and it seems more exciting than ever and Shelly, what about you? When you were doing your book, did you find that a lot of people were looking for um, vintage pieces or mixing things up? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. The book features, like I mentioned, 34 women showing their authentic, loving table. So everybody had their different spin on it. But we looked for women that just had the same connection that Kimberly Whitman and I had. They were, you know, wanted to have these beautiful tables, even if it was just for sitting down and having pizza with their families. But it was really passing along these traditions that they had learned from their mothers, their grandmothers, whomever in their life, and just wanted to continue those traditions. And most of the women, it's, the tabletops are beautiful and they range. Some of them are very simple. Mine is really simple. I did it outside. It was a real dinner. I had all my family here. And that was the key that just really show people real authentic tables. But most people, you know, they're very layered. They're very interesting. They all really feel like the people featured. And I think that's what's really interesting. I think a table is a really great way, like I mentioned before, to express yourself. And it can be so individual um, and look look so different than just like your living room or your kitchen or whatever. And I do a lot of tabletops outside. So for me, I bring the kind of indoors, outdoors and mix and match and have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, Cherish is an amazing place to pick up great items. And like Mally was saying, vintage items, everyone loves vintage pieces. And either if they're passed down from your family and maybe not, maybe somebody else's family, but it's really fun to um, take a look and look at what they have. I like your point about it being authentically you because I, there's also a lot of showing off that happens. and <laughs> Especially for Instagram. <laughs> really, I don't think that, you know, that is absolutely your style or people right. are just trying to put it together for the gram. And it's nice that the audience can sense whether it's something that would really come out of your sensibility or not, because um, there are some outrageous things that happen out there. For more than 40 years, Apadana Fine Rugs have been an essential resource for the interior design community and discerning shoppers. Apadana offers a beautiful curated collection ranging from richly patterned ushaks to colorful Moroccan pieces and much, much more. To preview their exceptional inventory, visit Apadana Fine Rugs, that's spelled A-P-A-D-A-N-A, Apadana Fine Rugs, on Cherish today. And now, back to our show. And, you know, Shelley was saying entertaining outdoors, which has become a huge trend. I mean, even pre-pandemic, it was, it was a force, but now I think it's more so than ever. And 
God knows with Omicron, if it's <laughs> going to come back this spring or summer, more outdoors. But James, I'd love to know from you, has Paperless Post noted a shift in the way people entertain pre-pandemic as opposed to, you were send, saying smaller gatherings, but are there other things that yeah. you've noticed? I mean, I think we, we've noticed a lot. There's The pandemic has definitely impacted the way that people entertain. I mean, all the things you would imagine, much more last minute. So people are organizing events much closer to the time when the events are going to take place. We've also seen a big, we've seen a big shift toward digital invitations in categories that used to be really sort of staunchly rooted in paper. So the pandemic was tough for business, obviously, but there were a couple of categories that were really taking off on our platform. Wedding invitations was one of the, was growing tremendously. And it wasn't because there were so many more weddings, although at a certain point in the pandemic, I think the, uh, the the brides started to get impatient and did decide to just get married. But it was also mm-hmm. that people wanted to be able to to send something out quickly and be able to change it quickly if there was a change of plan. So we did see a shift toward more kind of flexible and dynamic planning. I think in terms of style, though, I think what you were saying earlier about a move away from, I'm sure that, that Mally and Shelley can probably agree with this or have their own ideas, but that move away from like a Calvin Klein kind of minimal table across our invitation products, as well as what we're seeing in corresponding event design, there really has been a shift toward decor that has more of a hand feel to it, whether that's a hand line or a painted line or glass that's hand blown or uh, just that human touch is exactly. so important to exactly. people now. Yes, exactly. And I and I see it in my, in my world. I, I think of it as kind of a reaction against the coldness of yes, commercialization. And, yeah, yeah, and commercialization. And exactly. But I don't know if you are all seeing that as well. I think part of it is too, because I'm sorry, but with traveling, you know, we haven't been able to travel. So I think we're kind of creating that in our tabletops and in our homes. We like the artists and the craftsmanship. We just are, are so eager for it right now. So we love anything that feels like you've, you know, again, it's from far away and you get to escape a little bit. And that accessibility for other people, for your audience, you know, supermarket flowers can be absolutely fine if you just use lots of them and use containers that, you know, are around in your house. So people don't feel like they can't do it because it's not perfect and everything isn't special. In fact, being unspecial, you know, jam jars are actually great containers for flowers if it's that sort of occasion. Absolutely. Instagram allows us to peer into the lives of these fabulous people, you know, Lauren Santa Domingo, but, you know, Bunny Melon from the past, whatever. And you, everybody has a sense of what it means to have, you know, the perfect terrine that looks like a melon that you can serve your melon soup in. But, but really, nobody, nobody really lives that way. So, or in le- you're very lucky if you do. So, how can you, how can you be a gracious host without trying to be something that you're not? Like, and if your house doesn't have s- seats for people to sit at a big dinner table altogether, then just embrace it. I think people should start by asking what is my lifestyle really like? Because you don't want to feel like you're in, but you know, acting, playing a role. It's so inauthentic. I think just being kind and welcoming is the most important thing. Do you sometimes walk into a party and you know that the hosts are just dreading the whole evening? And totally, and kills it. And you don't want to be there. That has got to emanate from right. the host. That's right. probably the most important table setting is right. that kind relaxed. and welcoming, relaxed, relaxed. yeah. 
But it used to be that you could buy like full sets of china and even, you know, flatware, sterling, very inexpensively 10 years ago. But I think that's really changed because it was it was kind of a dead market. And and James, maybe you'll disagree with me, but especially in, in Manhattan and New York, Brooklyn too, people entertained at restaurants. And Bunny Williams bought a lot of that china. Right. She was very smart. <laughs> yeah. And also Mario Buata. I mean, there were some real sure. collectors out there who, right. were, who were ahead of the curve. Find right. the 24 piece. Well, yes. I, right. I just don't understand how people in New York have the sort of the pantries and the um, the china cabinets to My keep all of question. this stuff. Where, Where do you store, store it? it? You know? Yeah, I know. Under the bed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Shelley, exactly. you have five children. So, I mean, to set a table for that big a family, I mean, you want to rotate, I assume. But where do you keep all your china? Well, if you've seen um, a couple things I've done, you'll see, I think maybe steel a veranda or something featured. I did, um, I have a trellis room and I actually, behind the trellis, I have cabinets that store uh... um, a ton of stuff. And then I have these wonderful kind of hidden cabinets in my dining room and in this kind of the ante room off of it. I have kind of creative places for my, but everything's really accessible, really easy, because for me, it's all about grabbing it, setting a table in two seconds, and I'm setting a lot of tables. And and mine are very authentic and real, and they're they're outside, inside, everywhere. So again, like I said, last night, we had 11 around the table and um, two hours of conversation. It was fabulous. That's so. Great. Um, well, you're a woman of great foresight that you planned all that storage. Yes. It's kind of funny because, you know, when I was growing up, you, you you had the China cabinet, and that was the China that you never used. You used it for the holidays, Easter, Christmas, whatever. But otherwise, you never touched it. But now, I guess it's very different. You use this China, all, all the China that you have all the time. I was so shocked when I first moved here in the 90s, and you'd go to someone's house, and they'd give you a plastic cup to drink your wine out of for a normal dinner party. Everyone was saving everything for I don't know what. You know, they were scared of touching their real stuff. I know. And thank heavens that movement has gone away now. You know, people are actually eating every day on real plates. It's such a pleasure. I have to laugh at that, though. I have one friend, and it's kind of a joke because she comes to my house, and we have beautiful champagne flutes, and she, you know, is using it, and I have this concrete floor, and she, of course, drops it. And so every time she comes, you know, I always say, gosh, I just don't have enough of these, and I always hand her a plastic. Um, <laughs> so it's turned into a little bit of a joke with That's her. That's wicked. So. A woman of so, foresight, but with a mean streak there, Shelley. She, no, she's like one of, she's my best friend, so we can, ah, we laugh okay. about it, so. Good. But I I do think you're right, Michael. I do think that there has been a shift in trends toward entertaining at home. I think people view entertain. I think, you know, people in New York still, obviously, uh, or at least before the pandemic, and I, I think still, you know, renting at a restaurant, it's, it's, it's easy, it's convenient um, if you, you know, if it's a bigger event or if you're a brand or something like that, because you don't have to set up and clean right. up. But I think people, even with brands and with business events, you're seeing more and more that really special events are happening at people's homes, you know, the founder's homes, the CEO's home. And takeout food is fine to add on and to, take to food the beautiful fine. table. Right. The setting. It's often more, it's often more delicious. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> hey, you don't have to be a great cook to entertain. Right. No. But I think, you know, we've seen in at Paperless, you know, we do do a lot of collaborations with other brands and designers. And we've seen that some of our most successful collaborations have been with interiors companies. So, you know, we have a collaboration with Schumacher and we have a collaboration with Kelly Wurstler and John Darian. And, you know, that association between interior decoration and 
entertaining at home. I think it's just a really obvious association in people's minds. And it's no surprise that interiors and entertaining are deeply related. I mean, that's the point. That's why we're talking about it on the Cherish podcast. But I think that more and more people are looking at entertaining at home as a way of, of you know, expressing themselves visually. That's such a modern thought as well, that you don't have to categorize yourself as a something, like as a fabric designer or a floral designer. Right. And that collaborations, you know, the borders are going away. I think you're right. I think because I think with this rise of collaborations that we're seeing across creative categories that people don't have to, people can just be a, a designer, a lifestyle Brand, uh, yeah. And Mally, probably like you, with my interior clients, I'm always doing buying their tabletops for them as well. So we're always like, I'm actually going to Paris with one client and we're looking for obviously the house, but we're looking for a lot of uh, tabletop. Oh, that's that's very interesting. No, I teach people too well. And then <laughs> they just go off and do it for themselves. So I, I must learn that's to hold great. back a little bit right. <laughs> on that but it, score. <laughs> but it is so interesting what you were saying, like, because James, what you were saying about you want the the invitation, the setting, all to be together, and yeah, we used to be that thing at the to- at the turn of the century called the total work of art. There was a German term right. for it, which I wouldn't attempt. Something, yes, yeah, exactly. And also, Shelley, what you were saying, it used to be certainly in the '30s, '40s, and '50s when people hired an interior designer, they were actually right. looking to that designer for how to live. Yes, well, lifestyle. I love, I love the Frank Lloyd Wright story. I do that with my clients. We buy sheets. Yeah. We buy. I buy handbags with them. I buy I, and pick out the interiors for their cars. <laughs> I well, do the right. whole thing. <laughs> I remember learning in in high school about Frank Lloyd Wright and how that he he would actually dress the women that if they were having a big party and 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 falling water or whatever he would actually tell the hostess I think you should wear the Balenciaga or you know whatever it was because he wanted it all to work even down to what sh- her shoes you know. Well, that's Love a fine it. line, James, because many architects can get to be a little overly controlling. But, True. you know, down, what doorknobs and everything and what dishes. And, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a difference between controlling everything and advising. And I guess that's always a fine point. But well, I, copying, I, you know, I notice my clients are like, what dress is that you're wearing? I love it. I, I love that they try and emulate your style. I don't try and sort of hold my cards too close to my chest yeah. at all. It's a flat. It's an. It's flattery. It's a. You know. It's, it's a real compliment, Mally. That that people want to live how you live. I swear. One reason Ken Folk is a very talented designer, but I think that one reason he's had so much success in San Francisco is he told those. He taught those people who are making a ton of money on tech but didn't really know how to live. He said to them, "You can have a good time. You have money now. This is how to live. You have some fun. Get in. Bring in flowers. Have parties." I just wanted to ask the interior designers whether you feel that now in this world where people are sort of clients are are kind of buying a lifestyle that as a designer you have to be a lifestyle brand you you can't just kind of go to the office and do your work and then leave it at home you are your brand all the time every photograph you take every it's a big responsibility i think because you know what you're putting out there people are taking seriously and so I think keeping it joyful and fun and happy as much as you can. I once um, had a 
profile pic done in this black outfit because I wanted to look like a serious interior designer. The outrage from my followers were like, what happened? Who died? <laughs> That's so funny. You, you have to live who you are and um, project it. I think it's a, it's a big responsibility, which, you know, you get landed with. And yeah. it's, it's a flattering thing. Yeah, you, but you have to be disciplined. I have a lot of um, young families that come to me, and, you know, I think they look also to, we really do live in our home and enjoy it, and I really try to encourage my clients to make their home their kind of their haven and to entertain outside and inside and set tables, and a lot of these people never were using their um, living rooms. They never were using their exterior spaces, and we really try to get people to, like, it's more of a lifestyle thing. All those things are so new to them because their mothers kept their living rooms so pristine. And um, so that they, they felt that it was just being disrespectful to what they have. And I always say to my clients, you own your house, your house doesn't own you. And that's a very English thing that I learned living in London, Um, that people love their houses, but they have a slight disregard for their things too. They don't mind the chips and the dents at all. They kind of like them in a way. Yeah, a little patina. A little patina. Right. But it's interesting, you know, for dining rooms, we're out of style for forever. And now I think are back because people now use them as a library dining room, a home office dining room. Same with living rooms. I mean, I personally am not a huge fan of the open kitchen, but I do think the open kitchen trend for a while got people access to using their living rooms because it was adjacent to the kitchen. But, you know, I I think that's a very valid point. Now you can entertain anywhere. You can set up a little table, card table, and have breakfast in your library or out on the patio or even in the bedroom. You know, you you don't want to have breakfast in bed. You can still – and I think people like to think about entertaining in a different way. You know, it doesn't have to be a grand table set for 12, although that's certainly more popular than it ever was. But, you know, a little garden table – with a, a pretty tablecloth. It could be a sheet that uses a tablecloth. I think that sort of more casual approach is and, really helpful. And inside furniture outside looks so much fun, um, you know, dragged onto the lawn. And just furniture doesn't have to have an actual room that it belongs in. I love Billy Baldwin's thing of just, you should be able to move a chair anywhere in your house and it looks fine. Right. Without having to use a um, hand truck. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how how these spaces have have melded into each other? Though, I mean, that you know how people want to have an, a, a kitchen that flows into a living room that flows into a dining room. That wouldn't have happened. You know, that wasn't the model. I don't know, fifty years ago, right? No. And that must really be changing the way that you know the transparency of the whole experience. You're seeing the person cooking. You're you're getting the entire experience from before the food comes out. Yeah, and I, and I think that's been a change from that, you know, the Downton Abbey kind of thing where the people were cooking downstairs because if you can't afford to hire a chef or staff for entertaining and you're doing it yourself, then you have to plan ahead or you have to have that kind of accessibility. Otherwise, you don't get to enjoy your own party. In yet. Florida, they have two kitchens. This is a phenomenon that I have come across now. There's the other kitchen that you don't see with the door on it that's got people in it and the mess. And then um, the one that's connected to the family room is the one that the world sees. You know, nothing has been ever cooked in that oven. It only has berries in the fridge. It doesn't have 
have like the, the chicken exactly. carcass that you're going to make a stock out of. No lobster carcasses anywhere yeah, to no, be funny. seen. It's Balls so of fruit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know, illusion is part of entertaining too, because, you know, I, I mean, I, I love when I entertain people think, oh, you cook like this every night. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but you do want to have that, you know, idea that it's very easy, that it, you, you, it's spontaneous, even though it isn't. You have to prepare, prepare, prepare. Right. I mean, right. you can't be in a mad flap as people walk in the door. It's just awful. Or make people start chopping. I hate that as well, you right. know? And then suddenly your fingers smell of onions and... Um, right. You know, don't get all dressed up to chop an onion. No, right, Mallory? No, 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 that's, no, that's, that's not, not right. right. The, the no. work must be done beforehand. Effortless is the most work right. entertaining that there is. Right. Right. Takes well, the most effort. And your guests should feel like guests. It should be a treat to come to your home and... And you're entertaining them and you're, you know, you should make them feel special and not like they're. <laughs> so I'd love to get a sense from you guys. When you're entertaining, which comes first for you? Do you think about the table setting or do you think about the menu? Let's start with you, Mally. I think about the occasion because I think whoever the people are, like, for instance, we love doing Fourth of July down at the Cape. And so for that, that sort of dictates what the table is going to look like. Of course, it's going to have blue hydrangeas and red and white striped table napkins that you've had forever from Pottery Barn. And then it's got to be the lobster. And, you know, people would object if you didn't have corn on the cob. So it really is the thing, um, you know, whether it's a sophisticated dinner party where you have to step up your game a little bit or so. First of all, it's it's what it is, I think. That's the important thing. And the people and the food and the tabletop flows from that. And the invitations. <laughs> right. And how about you, James? I think that what Mally said makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, you want to think about a concept at the beginning. You want to think about how do I want people to feel? Is this going to be, do I want this to be really fun? And I'm, and do I want to bring people together who are incredibly fun that don't know each other and have it be more of kind of a raucous thing? Or do I want it to be more about the food, more grown up exactly? Um, you know, I don't have a house in the Cape. So entertaining for me is always in the same spot, which is also where I happen to be sitting right now giving this um podcast. Um, so I've got limited, I've got pretty limited sort of palette of spaces. But yeah, I think I, I think starting with that concept, and then I would say I do move on to the food, and then finally think about how to dress it up with the setting. And Shelley, what about you? Like I said before, I'm setting a table, you know, three nights a week, three days a week. And if it's not for my family, extended family, it's for friends. For a big event, I'll say to my husband, oh, my gosh, the yard looks so gorgeous right now. We need to have some people over. And it can be as simple as that. Just, you know, we're outside enjoying it, so we want to include other people. So we really do, when I say that, we have we entertain a lot. And again, it's very simple. It's just, but I always set a pretty table. Everybody knows when they come over, you're going to be seated dinner my husband even says, he goes, why does it always have to be a sit-down dinner? Um, but I, I really do enjoy, I love lounging afterward and people hanging around and um, it's That's magical. That's when you table hop and move seats yeah, and all that. Yeah, it's, it's, and again, great music, great friends, great conversation. Um, the food for me is like you mentioned before, I, I think of the food, you know, definitely after I think of the whole setting and um, the ambiance. What you don't want, I think, is 
you know, sometimes when people have really thought a lot about the setting of the table and you have some sort of incredibly ornate scape situation with characters on it and, and really <laughs> high plants and, and, and you're sort of, you can't see the person across you oh, and you feel, horrible. you feel over, you feel encroached upon and overwhelmed by this, you know, magical world that someone has created. You need to find the right balance right. of sort of you don't interaction. Hooking your head around looking yeah, to see the person next to you get a crick in your you neck. know, kumquat right. plant. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or some giant majolica tower of something rather yes, like wow. Exactly. <laughs> and you need really comfortable chairs too. I mean, yeah. it sounds silly, but you should your tabletop should feel like you're sitting in, you know, a beautiful room and enjoy it. Like you said, you should be able to be with your guests, enjoying them, having fun. At the end of the day, it's about creating memories. It's you know, it can be as beautiful right. as you want to make it, but if it's you can't have fun, it that's beats the purpose. Right. And sometimes your goal is to impress. And sometimes your goal is to is to have a nice time and create a, a pleasing visual experience, you know? And those, those are not the same thing always. It's the effort, yeah. The amount of effort that you, if it's like 125% of effort, that's very impressive rather than right. la-di-da. Right. I think well, that's gone. Well, pride, pride is a sin, but I'm telling you, I sort of agree with James. If people didn't want to press or show off a little bit, they'd be probably a lot less entertaining. We'd be out of business. We would, it's true. Paperless posts wouldn't so, exist. You know, there, you know, so yeah. we, we should, that's a good aspect of pride. People want to share. And I think, you know, you're proud of something. Like you were saying, Shelly, your garden looks beautiful. So let's have people over. You know, you're proud of your garden. Make the bed. Right. In case they go wandering around the house. Right. Oh, absolutely. People want, they will. people love to snoop. Listen, as a former Shelter Magazine editor, you know, I said, how did I get into that business? Because I was nosy, you know? <laughs> you want to see how people live, you know? So... But that's why it's such an intimate thing, as we were saying, to have someone in your home. And you should have people that you love or that you want to get to know better, your friends, your family, acquaintances that you think are interesting to make a wonderful, you know, event. Bringing and pulling work friends into your family circle, if they're special, it's incredibly encouraging for them to see right. that side of you as well. So I often mix work friends with my friends. And um, I think they like that they come into the sort of family circle. It's mm -hmm. flattering for them. Totally, totally. I think it's a great thing. I mean, I think having anybody over, even for a cup of coffee, is a lovely thing. But when you really do it up and create a beautiful table and all those dishes that you have in storage or under the bed, wherever they may be, you pull them out. One of my favorite stories is Joan Didion was being interviewed and she was serving tea and to the reporter and she, she had on a beautiful tea set with Sterling and the reporter said, oh my goodness, this is so lovely. I can't believe you use this stuff every day. And Joan Didion said, what else do you have but every day? You know, and I think that's a great attitude to take towards, you that know, entertaining is, is a great- That's an incredible thing to know? say, actually. I remember that. So I think, you know, hopefully um, Omicron will dissipate. We will come up with a way of dealing with that and that we will once again get back to getting out into the world, entertaining, seeing the friends and family, the people we love, the people we want to know, get to know better, and we'll, we'll be able to entertain for all of them. And you guys had so much great advice and it's interesting factoids and approaches. And I want to thank my wonderful guests, Shelley Johnstone, Mally Skoke, and James Hirschfeld of Paperless Post. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Music.